right, so this is going to be episode number six, and please remember this is a public broadcast. Uh, well, you can also find us at unknownphilosophers.com. I'm Briggs Cunningham, your host tonight, broadcasting from 111 degree Arizona this evening. And I would like to uh, introduce to you guys my brother, my co-host, Cosmo Magliazzi. And before you jump on, I want to um, congratulate you on your new sign for your new restaurant that you've been working very hard on. So I want to I want to uh, just say that's so awesome. So Cosmo, Thank how you are brother, you doing, Grace. my brother? Well, welcome. Uh, I'd like to welcome everybody for an awesome show. Uh, you know, we're just getting uh, we're getting more popular as we go tonight. We have a very special guest with us, a very good personal friend of mine and a brother, um, Timothy Hogan. Um, he is the author of you probably know some of his materials: the Alchemical Keys of Masonic Ritual, the Thirty Second Secret Path of Solomon, uh, the the newest one that I picked up uh, was The Elements of the Elements, The Way of the Templar, Entering the Children Union, and many others. And I know he's working on, he's always working on new th things. Uh, his special background, he is an expert in uh, Templar uh, history, uh, ritual, uh, Kabbalah, uh, many other Masonic uh, mystery schools. And also, um, I know he's well-traveled. He's got some really good stories. Uh, with, with no further ado, uh, Brother Briggs, I'd just like to, to introduce uh, Brother Tim Hogan tonight. How you doing, Brother Tim Hogan? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited that we got this format to do this. It's, it's really wonderful. It is. It is. Thank you so much. You know, you were the first one I contacted when Cosmo and I wanted to do this. And when you said yes, I knew... Uh, this was going to be a lot of fun. So I want to thank you again for joining us here on episode uh, number six. And what I'd like to do guys is uh, usually I start off with a question um, and then goes to Cosmo and then to our audience. What I would like to do tonight is just share a quick story and then go to Cosmo. Cosmo introduced me to brother Timothy and uh, after he did an incredible presentation on alchemy and masonry, we met uh, for a cigar and a drink. And we talked. I mean, what better thing to do than that? And I don't smoke cigars. And so we all get in a discussion about the Great Pyramid, the acoustics, and we just go deeper and deeper. And then let's do a ritual. Let's do a third degree. And Timothy's like, you know, we did that a little while back. And I'm like, what? And, and I got sick because of the cigar because I don't smoke them. So I run to the bathroom. I do my thing and I come back. And, and he, he's just shows me uh, on his phone, there was a, a newspaper article about them doing it. I think it was like the Giza Times or something like that. So that's when I knew him and I, if we ever did a project or, or traveled together, you know, the three of us would probably get in some trouble. So I just wanted to share that, that awesome story, Timothy. Uh, it was wonderful. I handed it over to Cosmo uh, this evening. Uh, thank you again yep. for joining us. Yep, and I like to I like to just share a quick story. My, uh, you know, my story again. The same night that I think it was the night before, maybe when you when we were at my father's restaurant with yeah. uh, also with most worshipful Rex Hutchins, and uh, that was the the spark of of our book that we worked on, which is it's finally ready to, to to be published. And the reason why it's taking so long is because obviously you know Rex had to go through it, and we had to wait on him, but. Um, uh, that was a wonderful experience because that really inspired us to to start doing more research, to to build our libraries the way they are now, and uh, to expand our knowledge in Freemasonry and uh, and also some of the other mystery schools that are part of it. So that's well, what I like to share. I'll tell you real quick. You know, my favorite my favorite story about uh, 
most worshipful brother Rex Hutchins is that you know we we uh, spent some time in France together and uh, we were uh, touring a number of different uh, sites and uh, doing some initiations uh, at some sacred areas there and uh, some masses and some other things and uh, anyhow we were we were making our way into Carcassonne uh, and uh, our we ended up getting a flat tire in one of the vans we had three vans uh, that were, were driving to Carcassonne in and we got a flat tire and so we had to get everyone out of the van get them into the other vans and we had to remove all the luggage and put them on the side of the road and so uh, most worshipful brother Rex and myself decided to stay with the luggage um, and then they were going to bring the, the van back to come pick us up in the luggage and meanwhile, get everybody else up to the castle at Carcassonne. So meanwhile, Rex and I are sitting out there on all this luggage by the side of the road in France. And uh, all, all these people were driving by and they thought we were traveling gypsies. And so they were yelling out their windows, je déteste, je déteste, at us. And, you know, because we just looked like, uh, you know, we'd been traveling for days and Rex had his long hair and... <laughs> and uh, you know it was it was it was pretty ridiculous, but uh, eventually we uh, you know we managed to get to the castle and things worked out really well. <laughs> That's awesome. It's, it's my it's my favorite favorite memory with with Rex as we uh, you know people thought we were we were gypsies you know on That's the side of the road. I can see Rex too. I can yeah. I can picture it. No, he loved it. You know, he was studying the the fauna, you know, that was out there and the flora and like, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So it was great. That's awesome. Yeah. Cosmo, what kind of question? What kind of question you have to start it off? Start us off tonight. Well, since you know, since I haven't, we haven't really seen a lot of uh, Brother Tim lately. I know he's been posting things on Facebook uh, here and there, little pieces of uh, nuggets of wisdom. Uh, Brother Tim, do you have anything that you're working on right now that you would like to share, like some new discovery, some new uh, expansion of maybe some of your research that you thought it was interesting? Uh, you know, I, I've been, I, I've been, uh, you know, my most recent book was Elements of the Elements. Uh, actually, I should take that back. I, I published another book after that called uh, Thoughts from Meditations which is more just, um, you know, it was basically exactly as it sounds, you know, thoughts I've had from meditations. But, but as from a research standpoint, um, I, I'm, in, I'm really fascinated with uh, early Rosicrucian movements uh, that were taking place in both Germany and uh, England. Uh, there's a, there's a whole lot of history that is really not been published by hardly anybody. It's kind of alluded to, uh, in particular, uh, the whole uh, movement of of what was happening in places like Tubingen in the late 1500s, and uh, there was a, an underground Templar group known as the Militia Crucifera Evangelica. Uh, that published a a book called the Neometria, which just means measurement of the temple, uh, and it was uh, published in 1598. 
and it has uh, it describes all of the Kabbalistic, alchemical, and Gnostic meanings behind the descriptions of King Solomon's temple. That's incredible. And, and uh, it's a it's an almost two thousand page book. It's never been published in English. Uh, and it's um, I've looked at uh, I've had the good fortune to um, you know travel to Chubigan. Uh This is where people like Kepler and uh, Copernicus and other people studied. Uh, but it's uh, and it's where Johann Valentin Andrea, who who you know is credited with having a hand in the um the uh, some of the early rosicrucian manifestos and particularly the chemical wedding of christian rosencruz it's where he was um went to school and uh anyhow the, the uh, that, that whole history is there it's really fascinating and uh, they still have these documents there at the at the university there at the stift uh, it, which is like a religious school in uh, Chubigan. And uh, there's there's just a whole lot that has never been published, in, including Kabbalistic works of, of Johann Valentin Andrea and uh, other things. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm reviewing some of that and, and looking at trying to put something together with that. Um, I had the, the good fortune of uh, traveling there with... Um, Father uh, Peter Reardon of the Ecclesia Gnostica uh, in Austin, and um, you know we we took several trips there and and looked at things in the area and uh, there's uh, there's just a there's a lot to be told uh, that uh, nobody who's writing about Rosicrucian rosicrucianism is even touching on at, at this time mm. so that's that's one of the things i'm looking into uh, as well as some of the early um you know what one of the one of the members of the militia crucifera evangelica uh you know the the grand master of it at the time was frederick who was the duke of Württemberg, the region of Württemberg uh in germany um but but one of the other members of the militia crucifera evangelica at the time was queen elizabeth the first and uh if you know your esoteric history you know that uh francis bacon was secretly her son <laughs> and uh, a lot of the shakespeare plays and other things were were written to um by bacon and others to um to get certain ideas out. Uh, and there's a reason why Queen Elizabeth would attend those, um, those Shakespeare performances because her son was, was one of the uh, main movers behind what was going on there. So it's a, it's a very fascinating history and it's, it's one that a number of people touch on, but there's, there's kind of a debate between the, uh, you know, whether uh, Rosicrucianism started in England or whether it started in Germany, um, when in fact, you know, they were working with each other. Uh, the, the, the people, you know, like um, Francis Bacon knew Johann Valentin Andrea and, and they did stuff together. So uh, it's, uh, it's a fascinating history and it's one that I think needs to be 
developed further um, and, and a number of source documents need to be brought forward that just haven't been, uh, nobody's written about it yet. So, so that's one of, one, of the, one of the things I'm looking at at the moment. You know what's amazing, Cosmo, is clairvoyantly, uh, Tim just summed up the last three shows. Because <laughs> 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 everything you said, um, we had the experts on, and they echoed yeah. everything that you said. You know, what's, how do we get from the Templar to the, to the Rosicrucian or the Templar to the Freemason? Yeah, so uh, what happened was, it, you know, when the, when the, the Templar order was suppressed, in 1307 and then was officially declared disbanded from Roman Catholic um, patronage, patronage uh, by 1314 when uh, Jacques de Molay was burnt at the stake. Uh, the order had gone completely underground at that point. I mean, and it, it had still continued to exist in different forms in different areas. There were Templars in Scotland, in Ireland, and in Portugal. Uh, there were there were were Templars that went back down to to places like um, Egypt, and there were Templars that that had moved to went ahead and went back over to the new world, you know, to the Americas. And um, all of the, the Templars continued to operate and do their mission, even if they were, were separated and it wasn't as easy to, uh, you know, to be in contact with each other. There wasn't as much of a central authority. Uh, and there were Templars that continued to exist in Paris uh, and Germany. So what happened was they just kind of took on different names in different areas. So in uh, like Portugal, they became known as the Knights of Christ, whereas uh, in places like uh, Scotland, they uh, took on, um, you know, uh, were, were involved in the uh, Knights of St. Andrew, the Order of the Thistle, uh, in uh, and in Germany, you know, they eventually kind of, by the 1500s, came to be known as the Militia Crucifera Evangelica. So um, by the late 1500s, early 1600s, this is where Rosicrucian movements officially, uh, under that name, started to be developed and it was really uh this idea this this rosicrucian idea had been in templarism from the very beginning in fact uh the uh some of the that that tradition uh, associated with templarism was uh had had traced back to uh egypt uh and certain things in um in Giza, which was known as Rostau uh, in the original Comedian language. And, and Rostau, of course, if you take, if you translate that into Greece, it becomes Rose Cross. So Giza was known as Rostau or Rose Cross. And, um, and then uh, the Templars and their associations with groups like the Druze, the Tohid Mohudun, and the 
in some Sufi traditions that were developing in the Sabaeans, uh, they were developing alchemical elixirs, uh, which they specifically called the um, the the rose cross or elixir, and uh, and uh, in fact a, a remnant of which is is was buried in St. Paul's Cathedral, and um, and uh, then you know there's this kind of language thing too where where like rue croix which is like a red cross we got we somehow got started to be translated as rose croix or rose cross uh, you know probably because of this ross tau connection and uh, then it you know then it just became associated with being rosicrucianism so uh, but as early as um you know the 1500s, uh, 1598, the, the Neometria, which was published by Simon Studian for the militia, dedicated to the Militia Crucifera Evangelica, had depicted uh, the images of the, of the Rose Cross in it. And of course, that's what Andrea was studying and, um, you know, and uh, as well as Bacon. So they, they just kind of developed it from there. So that's yeah. awesome. Do you think that um, also maybe some of the Templars, you know, after the Crusades, because they had the secrets to the cathedral building, could they have turned into the stonemasons? Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You and got maybe you got to remember, those traditions. Yeah, for sure. You have to remember. So there are two, there are two um, building groups that exist to this day uh, that are, um, known as factions of the companions who built the, the, the Gothic cathedrals. One is known as the children of the master Jacques, and the other is known as the children of Solomon. And both of these, both of these stonemason guilds that are operative stonemason guilds, both of them say that their origins were that they were the original building force of the Knights Templar. So uh, the children of the Master Jacques, the Master Jacques was just Jacques de Molay, and the children of Solomon was, came from children of the poor Knights of Christ of the Temple of Solomon, which was the Templars. So, so both of these groups that were, that were associated with the Companions were, um, were Templars. And the Templars, uh, as early as... Um, the early 1200s, the, the Templar rule specifies that there were only, the only Templars that were allowed to wear white leather gloves within the Templar order were the Templar priests and the Templar stonemasons. Because the, the Templars had built over a thousand um, Gothic type structures, including cathedrals across Europe uh, between 1118 and 1307. So, I mean, they had a massive building force. And, and most people, when they think of the Templars, they think of them as just knights. Uh, but in fact, you know, they had farmers, 
that that were in charge of growing the food that was to be given for to uh, you know all all the uh, you know the Templars as they were moving. They had ship captains, they had bankers, they had clerics, uh, and they had stonemasons. So it was very easy for you know of course the Masonic there are certain Masonic traditions that have suggested that when the Templars were suppressed, uh, they just turned in their lambskin tunics for lambskin aprons and, uh, you know, disguised themselves as stonemasons because it was very, very easy for them to do. And that this was really the origin of, of the thin Freemasonry. And, and I should say, I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit. Oh no, it's great. But I just want to, I just want to, to emphasize this, that, uh, the earliest Masonic degree systems, the earliest Masonic documents, what we would recognize as the earliest documents of Freemasonry um, are there's the, the Gothic manuscripts, which date from the late 1300s. And then the ones after that are the Shaw statutes, which date to the same time period of 1598, 1599 in Scotland. So the same time the Neometria is being published in Germany, the Shaw statutes are being published in Scotland. And these Shaw statutes, they specifically say, um, a number of things, but one of the things they talk about is they they have uh, it's the, they, they mention penalties, Masonic penalties that we find uh, uh, that were associated with specific parts of the body that are still utilized within Freemasonry to this day, and that these specifically had alchemical meaning as early as 1598. So we know that they were already uh, doing symbolic associations. And there's also talk of a master's grip. And uh, it doesn't say what that master's grip is, but it should be pointed out that the only um the the current master's grip that you find within freemasonry today and the password or the i'm sorry the master's word that is associated in freemasonry is also found amongst one other group in the middle east and this is the tawhid mahadun or the druze and you need to explain to me how there's this group that you find in Lebanon and Palestine and Egypt and Syria that is passing on these alchemical secrets and has an initiation structure. How is it that they have the exact same grip and the exact same um, master's word that they use that... Um, is also found up in Scotland, you know, in the, the late 1500s. And the only way, the only way, the only people that were traveling between the Middle East and Scotland regularly during that time who had associations with both 
were the Templars. So and it's also for this reason that we find um, alchemical doctrines that the Druze were passing on uh, carved onto the early cathedrals like uh, Notre Dame and Chartres and uh, Amiens and, and some of these other cathedrals around France. They have carved alchemical operations which just weren't being published at the time. They weren't, they weren't on books. They weren't uh, there were people like Roger Bacon who were looking at alchemical substances as he was developing gunpowder and things like that. But the but the the fact that they are outlined specifically on these cathedrals means that, and the only people that were translating Greek and Roman alchemical texts at the time were the Druze the Tohid Mohadun Druze in the Middle East. So, I mean, the, the only group that had association with both were, were the Templars. So, uh, it, it, in my opinion, um, you can draw a pretty straight line, and all you have to do is look at the evidence, and it's, it's, it's there. I mean, uh, and, I, and for that matter, I mean, you look at those cathedrals, all the mason marks. On the, if you go to Strasbourg, uh, in uh, in near the border of Germany in in France uh, at the Alsatia region, kind of the, near the Alsatia region, uh, that cathedral has a monument to stone the stonemasons who built the cathedrals, and on that monument it has every single mason mark that has ever been found on any of the cathedrals wow and it, i would say not exaggerating 90 percent of those mason marks we also find uh as the symbols for different alchemical substances and operations um you know only a couple like a hundred years later so there was clearly a direct connection there so yeah they they yeah. met at the uh, little sophia but i learned that from you kate cosmo yeah, my that mind also, is now blown man what I'd, you like got? To, <laughs> I'd like to add something to this uh by the time we're gonna have bob cooper on here on the show later on this year i believe uh i was in scotland a couple times the first time was in 17 then went back last year and i got i got to spend a lot of time with uh for brother um jeffrey spence who he's been I mean, he lives like literally like half a mile from Roslyn Chapel that's his town he was born raised there he's a past master of Roslyn and uh, you know he believes in fact he showed us evidence I mean he did he did his slideshow we had about 20 members from our lodge here came out and visited last year they were all stunned when he showed them the correlation between the the, the chapel and the Templars and how masonry developed just exactly as you described it. I mean, there's marks on the walls. You can see them. A lot of them are yep. fading away. I took a lot of beautiful photos of that. But Bob Cooper, on the other hand, you know, he writes this book, The Roslyn Hoax. Right. And he's using the statue, the Shaw statue, to basically discard the whole thing, you know? <laughs> I know. I know. I, you know, I love I love Bob, and I love his his writing, but he, he you know, he... You know, he tends to come from this opinion of, oh, well, there's no real evidence that the, that the Templars were involved in Rosalind Chapel. I can tell you, I will tell you what the evidence is, and nobody can 
nobody can disprove this. Uh, there are, in Roslyn Chapel, there are these cubes that have these geometric designs on them that are, that are above these angels that are playing instruments. Yes. And what we know now is that those designs that are being depicted are somatic music designs, which, and what somatics is, is, is it's like if you take a drum and you sprinkle sand on it and you, and you play an instrument under the drum, the vibration that goes through that drum causes a, a vibration on the surface of the drum and it causes the sand to organize itself into geometric patterns, right? Yep. Supposedly this was something that wasn't even discovered until the late 1800s. And yet here it is depicted at Rosalind Chapel. And we know that's what they were trying to depict because the angels are playing particular notes and if we play those notes, uh, you know, on a, with a drum above it, with the sand, the sand will organize itself according to uh, the, uh, the, the exact same symbol that, that, that we find on those cubes in Rosalind Chapel. Well, the only other place, so, so here we have Rosalind Chapel, which was completed, uh, you know, by the was largely completed by the by the by 1420 all right um and in it not only is these uh these um these designs but there's also flora there's like 30 different types of flowers that are carved there that you can only find in the new world so this is before columbus um but but going back to these cubes, the only other place in the world where we find these semantic music designs is at the former Templar commandery in Istanbul. <laughs> it's carved on the ceilings of, 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 that, that, cathedral, of that particular building in, in wow. Istanbul, which was, of course, in Constantinople back yeah. then, but it's... Yeah. But the fact that the only two places that we can find it dating yeah. back that period is the former Templar commandery in Istanbul and in Roslyn Chapel. The odds are that there was a <laughs> Templar influence on Roslyn Chapel. Yeah. Yeah. The good news is that uh, Jeffrey and I are working on some research. He's got the research. He's sending me things, bits and pieces. And I'm going to help them put together a document. Hopefully, maybe I'm, I'm, we'll probably consult with you for some help on that when, once we get to sure. it. So, yeah, I'd be happy to. Anything. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. A lot of us still have some of those family stories, right? Some of us are, are leftovers. You know, we, we've talked about it in my family for many years. And you and I have talked about it quite a bit, Timothy. And, you know, there's, there's gravestones in Scotland um, with our name on it that have some interesting symbols on them and our our shield and then my dad did his DNA and came back French and Portuguese. And we're like, what? <laughs> yeah. You know? So, I mean, a lot of us have some history digging to do as well. And we're very fortunate to have you as a, a source to go to Cosmo. Um, do you have any more questions or do you, should we uh, open it up to our guests? I think it's a good, a good time to open up to the guests and have them chime in and see what they, uh, what kind of questions they bring up. Awesome. 
All right, guys. Um, what we usually do is um, you can raise your hand in the little box thing, but also, you know, everybody here is really polite. So if you have a question, just unmike and, and pop in and ask your question. And it usually works out pretty good there. So we'll, we'll, we'll try that at first. So uh, please, any, any questions, deep questions too. This is Unknown Philosophers. So we like to do a little deep dive in here. All right, here we go. Uh, hello. Um, my name is Glenn, as you can see by the box. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, Glenn, we can hear you wonderful. How are you doing this evening? Uh, doing good. Um, quick question. Some Templar traditions talk about the Knights Templars while they were still in the Levant getting basically secretly attached to the Patriarch of Jerusalem yeah. Who was in Istanbul, and what, I don't know what the Templars did for them, but um, apparently the Orthodox Church, which, you know, the Eastern Church, gave to the Knights Templars a skull and two femurs of St. Sophia, sitting on a black pillow. You can imagine where that image goes to. Yeah. But if you use the Atbash cipher, and I know all of you have heard this before, it goes from St. Sophia to the word Baphomet. And my question is, th this is in some Templar traditions. Now, I was wondering if, uh, Timothy, if you've got uh, any information or, uh, I'm an academic. I'm looking for references. Mm -hmm. uh, any kind of possibility or any kind of documentation, perhaps, that they did have some alliance with the Eastern Church? Yeah, um, so, the, you know, the, the, the tradition is that, uh, that in the Templar tradition was started as early as 1096 which is, you know, normally standard historians say it started in 1118, but, but actually uh, there was activities going back as early as 1096. And according to some Templar traditions, what had happened was the, uh, the order, well, it, it was just, there were, uh, there were a group of mystic knights including Hudepeans, who was the first grandmaster of the Knights Templar. He, uh, and, and by the way, he was a, uh, he came from a Moorish Sufi background. His grandfather was a Moorish Sufi. And uh, in fact, his, uh, his, his family blazon was a, was an emblem of a shield with three Moors heads on it because that was his personal family line. Uh, and he had been schooled um, in France in, in the region of, uh, um, I'm drawing a total, total blank. It's where the rule was originally put together by St. Bernard of Clairvaux. 
but it's um, it's also where um, Rashi, uh, Troyes, in the town of Troyes, actually, it's where Cratian de Troyes wrote the first Grail legend, and uh, Rashi, the famous famous Kabbalist, was also there in Troyes, and he had been initiated into a tradition there in Troyes that had um, connections with this uh, Eastern church in Constantinople, and particularly with Theoclete, who was the patriarch of the church at the time. So the, the tradition is that Hugh de Payens and Godfrey de Saint Omar uh, had traveled, they were given the mission to go to Constantinople and meet with Theoclete, who um, was passing on this tradition. And where they met was actually at a church known as the Church of St. Sergius and Bacchus, which is now known as the Little Hagia Sophia Mosque. And this is where there's those depictions on the ceilings that match those marks that are also found at Roslyn Chapel. So this is where Hugh de Payens and Godfrey de Saint-Omar went. And you can still go there to this day. Uh, it's called the Little Hagia Sophia Mosque. It's built like a giant beehive uh, with, uh, with, with even honeycomb uh, floor tiles and, and everything else. And there's dedications uh, in Latin and Greek around the sides of it uh, dedicated to uh, John the Baptist and others. But it... Um, this is where he went. Uh, this is where he met with Theoclete. This is where they were initiated and given the official mandate to start the Templar order. So it was from here then that they went down to, um, they, they were given information from Rashi of Troyes, and they were given information from Theoclete on where to go in Jerusalem to start their digging. And of course, because Hugh de Payens already had this um, Moorish Sufi background, they were able to establish relations, but positive relations with the mystic Muslims that were already in the region and, and, and uh, you know, doing things in Jerusalem. Uh, and they got a they actually got a um, kind of like an edict uh, from the uh, caliphate that basically gave them permission to start digging under the uh, at the area of the Dome of the Rock, which at the time was considered the, the second most holy site in Islam. But they were given permission to start digging there, and uh, and they were given. Uh, the area of uh, what was known as Solomon, what was known as Solomon Stables, um, and uh, and this is where they started their digging, and um, and then you know the rest is uh, you know there's all kinds of stories about what they were finding, but um, uh, artifacts and documents and uh, even tombs but um this was but there was that early definitely that early connection with theoclete according to uh 
many Templar traditions, uh, including, by the way, the um, to this day the the Apostolic Yoenite Church, which is a Gnostic lineage, in their church narrative that they give at every single service. Um, to this day, they continue to tell the narrative of how um, Hudipaeans was initiated by Theoclete, who was the, um, you know, the, the patriarch of the Eastern Church at the time. So, yep. What an incredible question to get us started. Thank you so much, Glenn. Yeah. You know, I, I, should, I might want to point out too, one, one, of, one of the things you'll notice in a lot of Eastern Orthodox traditions, when they give a blessing, they give it like this, right? With their hand in the, in the, in the form of the sheen, right? Which is, and this is what you find in the Hebrew traditions too. It's, it's the Kabbalistic sheen, which was equated with fire, the divine fire. Um, so, uh, you know, this idea of when Jesus said, I've, I've come to set fire to the earth, it wasn't like, he was, it wasn't here to set everything on fire. It was, it was talking about the, the divine sheen. And, and, this, and, this, and that's, actually, that's actually where Leonard Nimoy got the movement for Star Trek. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. But so this, but this um, I, I will say that there are certain grips within Freemasonry to this day that you can't give without putting your hand in this shape, which is the, uh, you know, the shape of the, the sheen. And within the Sufi tradition, uh, of, within many Sufi traditions, actually, uh, this is called the, the star sign. And it's, mm. it's, it's given over the chest and it, uh, and it's, you know, it's it's used in the same manner that the um, uh, that you find the Druze using it, the the Tohid Mohadun Druze, uh, and you also find it within Freemasonry and and some other traditions. So it's 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 one of those signatures that you find within the Templar tradition. And by the way, the other place. There are, there are two other places that I've seen it in my personal travels, which, uh, you know, I was, I was blown away. I, cu I couldn't believe it when I saw it. One is um, uh, I was meeting with certain Mayan tribes down in the Yucatan uh, who have rituals that are nearly identical to certain rituals that are practiced within certain Templar traditions to this day and within Freemasonry. And they use this sign. And, uh, and then also the Hopi, uh, the tribe down in Arizona, they have a grip where they also use this right. to, to make a grip. And it, they say it was the grip that was given to um, all the races of men before they they were divided up and before the Hopi came to Turtle Island. And that they said that, um, you know, 
there'll, there'll come a time in the future where, you know, everyone's able to come back together and they're able to give this grip and then they'll know that they're brothers, you know, and, and that's, that's within the Hopi tradition. So you find it um, in a number of different places, but certainly this, this, this is a very Kabbalistic uh, thing. And, um, it was something that the Templars were, were very much aware of. Uh, in fact, the, the early rule was um, was uh, composed of 72 sections, each of which was said to correspond to one of the 72 Kabbalistic names of God. And of course, they got that from Rashi of Troyes. And, uh, and by the way... Um, uh, Hugh de Paynes was also married to Catherine de St. Clair, who was the cousin of Cratian de Troyes, who wrote the very first Grail legend. Wow. So th there, there's that very direct connection there, too. So Glenn's got a follow up. Um, back in 1975, I was one of Dr. Henry Kissinger's Marines. Mm. Uh, I was stationed in a little town called Rabat. And uh, from Rabat, you take a train down to Fez and Marrakesh. Mm -hmm. uh, I stuck my nose in the wrong place. I ended up taking the Shkhata and becoming a Naqshbandi Sufi mm -hmm. uh, of the Naqshbandiya. Yep. And this thing here is often collapsed put up here but it's hidden under the beard because uh, Muslims have to have a beard and yeah, it's hidden yeah. under the beard but there's also a reminiscence to some Masonic do-guards yes. yes you'll find it uh, the relation is quite remarkable but also they use this because uh, in the right hand it is Shaddai the left hand it is Shkina they, they mirror each other it's the masculine and feminine face of God, if you will. Yeah. But in the Naqshbandi tradition, energy flows, chi, prana, you know. Um, I wrote a paper called The Egg Exercise that covers a little bit of this. But they would take both of the hands like this, the thumb would go into the ear, right? And then these two fingers, the forehead, and these no. two up here. Right. Mm -hmm. Both right. hands. And, and that was a form of, of silent dicker in which you breathe and you move with your hands this way and you can feel the energy after doing like the star exercise, which Martinism used to teach. Yeah. Um, after you've opened up the five points, then you start doing these things to open up certain centers. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Yes, yeah. Com completely yeah. right. Jason Brock, what do you got, my brother? Yes, interesting. Uh, out of my own personal life, uh, I belong to Phi Sigma Kappa fraternity, right? It's a Greek fraternity. I joined when I was in college. And you would take your hand like this, and you would put it at your Adam's apple. Wow. And, and this, you would identify where your pledge pin <laughs> was placed or where your uh, your uh, member pin was placed if you were wearing a shirt instead of a jacket. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, I met with, uh, you know, uh, I guess about maybe, um, maybe in about 2010 or so, I met with Sheikh Nazim Kabrisi, who was the grandmaster of the Sufi in Cyprus. And uh, one of the first, um, you know, things that we did to, to, to recognize each other was was this, you know, this this sign, because um, it's still, you know, it's still being used by a number of of traditions that are all linked and that the Templars were were uh, connected with. So it's uh, and and of course the, a lot of these modern fraternities. I say, you know, I say modern, most of them were developed after the Civil War. And it was, what happened was, uh, as people were coming home, you know, from the Civil War, the, you know, there was, uh, you know, there was, there was a need for this. And uh, there were, there were certain uh, leaders that were, you know, coming from um, different esoteric organizations or Masonic organizations. And they, they developed these college fraternities and, and the signs and the rituals and and uh, and so on with them. So there's a number of, of college fraternities that do have elements of this in there. Yeah. Mine was formed in 1812 and had a Masonic background. Yeah. Yeah. So this yeah. this makes more sense now. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome, Jason. How about Renee? You had a question there. Oh yes, hey t hi Tim, how's that? Hope hey, good to see you, brother. You too, brother. I have a question for you. Um, I could be wrong, but uh, just a quick question. Um, you said something where it was very interesting about Hugh de Payan with the three faces, with the three heads. Um, if I'm mistaken, I believe that one of the Templars when they were court, uh, they were they were said that they were worshiping a three head. And yeah. I believe Johan Andreas, the first image that he ever published, the first square and compass on the bottom, there is a three head there. Am I correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a bust with three heads. Yeah, Johan Valentin Andrea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he did. Yeah, he did. Um, he did publish that on his, I can't, I can't remember the, uh, I think it was his, I can't remember the exact name of the book, but yeah, it was one of his early I, books. I think it was called uh, Christ, Christiana, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that. yeah, something like that. I saw the original of it actually in, um, in Chubigan at the Stiff there. Uh, you know, if you ever get a chance to to go, I mean, they'll they'll pull them out of the archives so you can see the originals. But um, uh, you know, interestingly, from a Kabbalistic perspective, the Kabbalistic tree was also said to be a a head with three faces. Uh, because of the different levels on it, so this was probably the the origin of the um, the three faced idol uh, that the Templars were accused of worshiping. And it's also, by the way, the origin of the name Parsufel or Percival in the Grail legends, because the Partsuf Partsuf in Hebrew means face. And L was God, so Partsuf L was the face of God, which was the which was the Kabbalistic face of the Kabbalistic tree. 
And so the study of that was um, tied into uh, these mysteries. And, and so therefore we should also not be surprised that the first publisher to publish the Zohar, which was this uh, very early Kabbalistic text, um, was also the same publisher that published Parsifal by Wolfram von Eschenbach. <laughs> so they were, they were published in Spain. So, um, Could it be were, the Janus? The Janus face? I heard Janus it was, face, right. Yeah, three-headed three yeah. face as well. In that yeah. instance, you know, Janus was looking towards the past and the future, yes. you know, and being uh, in, the, in the present. And, um, you know, there's something to that. I would say as well, you know. Yeah, in Rosalind, they do have faces as well. We have the wisdom from the young to the old, you know, from the young child learning the wisdom and traveling. It's kind of neat to see those as well. Yeah, if you go to if you go to uh, Tomar as well, and, I was just going to uh, mention Port that Portugal. Yeah, yeah. They, they they have the uh, up on the ceiling. They have the three faced, uh, you know bust as well so yeah I, one more one more question i got a quick question. you're gonna like this one actually yes, sir. um uh with uh ramon fabre palapra the yeah. document that he had the uh the charter um yes. i know that they were saying that it was a forgery and stuff like that i know there's not enough evidence to say that it was a forgery am correct. i correct are this are they still debating that yeah it's still being debated because what happened was um the the um, there's a copy of it that's in Mark Mason's hall in uh, in England uh, that was um, you know and I don't really they've had it for forever but it's in this Masonic hall um, but it's that's not the original that's not the original original document. And the original document was written in a Templar cipher code. So what they did is they translated it off of that cipher code. The original was published in, um, or was deposited at the, um, the National Archives in Paris in about 1804. And uh, there's you know, one of the Templar lineages I belong to, we have the exactly who it was deposited with, um, what the catalog number was, the whole bit, and, uh, it, and there were a number of other things that were also deposited at that time, and they've since all gone missing. So we don't, we don't know where they went, but what we do know is that uh, the... Um, one of the reasons why it's been declared a forgery is because, or it's been declared as inauthentic, was because the Latin in it was was thought to be too good for the space of <laughs> 1314 through 1804. But actually, um, when they when they when they translated the, when they, 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 again, remember the original was written in a Templar cipher code. And when they, when they transcribed it, they standardized the Latin as they were, as they were uh, writing it out so that people could read it easier. 
and and then that was became the thing that people were going off of so they said well it's it it it's clearly a forgery because the latin's too good but actually the the the, the transcriber is the one who standardized the latin so so that reason for not accepting it as legitimate doesn't really hold up. Yeah. Hey guys, we're and, and I, I should point out too that you know that that even if we accept that that um, particular charter was written in the late 1700s um, as as or some people say it was created in the late 1700s on that particular talk document. It talks about the, it, it actually kind of chastises the Templars who left Paris and took off for Scotland. And the evidence that, 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 that proves that happened wasn't even like proven until like within the last 40 years so uh and uh there weren't any masonic degrees going back during that time that were talking about that so it's interesting that um you know that that mentions it and which is another again another one of these things that seems to suggest it's legitimate that's awesome oh yeah. man <laughs> wow cosmo <laughs> again, this is you know, like the other shows, I'm gonna have to go back and watch this one a hundred times. And oh my goodness, we're we're at the top of our hour. But you know, Timothy, you're such a popular guest here. You have a ton of fans out there. Maybe we'll let one more question in there, and then uh, we'll go ahead and and close the show. And then also, Timothy, we've got a couple of uh, people on Facebook asking about what. Maybe we'll do that first. Get one more question. What is Templar Caligia? Oh sure. Um, so uh, the Templar Collegia is uh, it's a it's a Templar school uh, that was created. Uh, you know, it's it's had a number of different uh, incarnations over the over the decades, but it's basically a Templar school where Templars have pooled together research that they feel is, you know, the most fundamental things you need to know uh, in order to become a Knight Templar. And so uh, if anyone is, the way it works is you can go to www.templarcollegia.com, I think it is, or .org, you know, just, or just Google Templar Collegia, you'll find it, um, the website, the webpage. Uh, if you apply, uh, there's um, there's uh, you have to answer some questions, and uh, there's a there's a mild dues that just covers your your study materials that are sent to you, uh, which is a hardback hardback books, uh, and uh, in these books are what we believe are are the fundamental things that every Templar should know you know, prior to initiation. And then uh, as you go, as you're in it, we also introduce um, various initiations, uh, initiate people into uh, various strains of uh, Templar tradition, including Martinist uh, work. And, um, and then uh, 
and then the the hope is you know if you stick with it then you're you're knighted uh into the order of the temple of secret initiates and uh and that that templar lineage and um uh and uh where there's you know we have commanderies and preceptories around the world uh where uh that there are private teachings, but it's more, you know, you're, you're, you're expected to become more of a leader within the esoteric community and, and go and empower other organizations within the Templar tradition, like Freemasonry or Rosicrucian groups or, you know, uh, other groups like that. So. And interesting enough, it's grow. I've, I've checked it out. It's growing pretty fast. Um, you've got, yeah, uh, yeah. it's growing, it's growing really quick. How about uh, one more, one more question for someone in our Zoom room, if you want to jump in, if you've got anything you'd like to ask Brother Timothy here. Uh, uh, Briggs, this is uh, Doug Barnard. Um, yes, Douglas, how are you doing this evening? Good, good to see you. Um, good to see you. Uh, I, I immediately, of course, went on Templar Collegia, and uh, <laughs> it is .org, and it's, uh, you have to send an, an inquiry to... Uh, TemplarCollegia at gmail.com. So I guess that gets to you eventually. Yeah, what happens is we, we actually have uh, uh, leadership within the order and they, they screen all those. You know, if there's any question or whatever, they, they, they bring it to my attention. So what do you want to see in the email? Do you want to just, you know? Well, you know, we're mostly just looking at, it. you know, we want to know what your, what your background is. I mean, if you've already been initiated into different tradition, uh, like, you know, Freemasonry or, or Rosicrucianism or, or, uh, you know, Fraternity of Hidden Light or, or anything like that. Uh, we like to know um, what your background is and, um, you know, what types of things you're interested in studying and why you're interested in participating with us. And we have—it's not really for beginners, then. No, we have. I mean, pretty much everybody who joins it is already an initiate within something. They've already been initiated into something, whether it be Freemasonry or well, or something yeah, but else. But but is but the master have, mason? Is that or Scott yeah, yeah, right? for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, completely. Uh, yeah, most of our most of our members are, are Masons, not all of them, but, but most of them are. And, um, we have, uh, you know, we do have members, uh, all over the world. Um, just about, just about everywhere you can think. And, and we're, we're in affiliation. We work with other underground Templar traditions that, that exist all over the world. And, uh, you know, we're all committed to the same work. So, I, one 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 other thing, Briggs, if I could, um, and quickly, uh, Tim, you said that there was a book earlier in your in your comments that uh, it sounded like an extremely important book, and that it uh, had never been translated. Oh yeah, the Neometria. Yeah, Neometria. So the what's the? Uh, where do you do you see that being translated in the future? Is that one of your projects? Or? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a hard, it's it's a hard thing because it's in old German and it's kind of kept under lock and key and under, you know, there's certain people that are uh, preserving it in Germany and it's, uh, 
little bits of it are being let out at a time. So I, I don't think I'm going to be able to, to publish a full, you know, the, it's, it's a 1,998 page book. So it's, it's huge. Um, but um, there are parts of it that, uh, you know, are available to be published um, and, uh, you know, I'm hoping to include some of that, some of that in, in, in some of the research I'm doing, you know, that I'm going to present. But I, I can't publish the whole book, you know, I mean, and you're not going to be able to find the whole book, you know, but you'll find people talking about it here and there. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much, Douglas. Well, Cosmo, it's uh, top of the hour here. We want to thank you so much, Timothy, for joining us uh, this evening. You can get a hold of Timothy's books. Um, you can search for him on Amazon.com. He has a couple of Facebook pages as well. Is there any other way people can contact you? Uh, those are probably the best ways to, to reach me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Facebook's good. Uh, you know, I, I get a lot of... Uh, people reaching out to me on there. So it sometimes takes me a while to reply, but I, but I do get back to you. So Timothy is very, very uh, popular person. So yes, it, he, <laughs> you get a lot of uh, messages. <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. Uh, look for this episode number six uh, on the Facebook page here in a few days. Uh, our next uh, person we're going to have on is going to be Bob Cooper. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Check out the page and get the date for that as well. Cosmo, uh, any last words? And then we'll leave it with uh, Brother Timothy with some wise, some wise words for us to end with. Thank you. Uh, so I'd like to again thank Brother Timothy for being on the show. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us. Uh, we're looking forward to the next episode. Um, you know, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I'm hoping soon when we can ease the travel and put on some live, you know, some in-person uh, uh, seminars. We'll probably bring uh, Brother Tim back down here, or maybe we'll go up to Colorado this time. <laughs> hey, awesome. Sounds good. Oh, cool. <laughs> you, can, you can come hang out in my library. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. That'd be so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're we, the lab. <laughs> oh, the lab. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, we can get into some. Uh, what is it? Uh, St. John's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got. Well, we got. Uh, yeah, we got a lot here. So you're all welcome here whenever. So Awesome. Well, again, we know how busy you are and how many connections you have, and we can't thank you enough for our time tonight. We want to thank our, uh, face guests, our Facebook guests as well. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Hopefully the three of us can get together again. It's, such, it's so wonderful to see you, and you're glowing. So I, I love that, my, my brother. Um, <laughs> I hope all of you have a wonderful evening. Cosmo, I hope you have a great week again. Congratulations, brother, on your restaurant. I know how hard you've been thank working you. on that. And uh, myself and my son and my wife cannot wait to go to go eat there. So uh, I just want to say best wishes, everybody. And we'll see you next time on Unknown Philosophers. Good night. Good night.